So what are the most common mistakes, if you want to call them that, do you see new archers doing and how could we kind of work to mitigate some of those? Shooting a bow that's not set up correctly for them. A lot of times people find a bow in grandpa's attic and they take it to the bow shop and say, okay, I want to shoot it. Well, grandpa probably shot an 80 pound bow that didn't have any lead off. Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. In this episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast, I am joined by friend and archery instructor, Stephanie Restad. She talks a little bit about how you can get into a bow how to know what's right for you, the setup, the draw cycle. We also talk about anchor points um, and debunk some things that can go wrong and some things that she sees as common mistakes and how to mitigate some of those. It was a really fun conversation. If you are not an experienced archer and looking to pick up a bow, but not exactly knowing where to start, this will be a great episode for you to dive into. I think that you'll take a lot of insights and tidbits out of this that can help you get started in the archery world. Y'all need this episode, but first, a quick word about today's sponsor. It's that time again. Spring has arrived, and that means many of us are hitting the woods in search of sheds, turkeys, bears, or just some much-needed time outside. Remember, as you get out, ticks will be also. Do yourself and your family a favor by treating your gear with Sawyer's Permethrin Spray. Permethrin will last up to six washes or six weeks. It's odorless, gear safe, and non-toxic. Head to Sawyer.com to stock up now. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. I'm excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here, Courtney, and just talk all things archery with you. Uh, I think we've run into each other at ATA a couple times now. Yeah, no, it's uh, the archery environment the industry the people behind it it's a really cool community you know obviously we've talked about that several times just here and there on the show or on social media like the industry in itself is a beautiful group of people for the most part so I'm really grateful both with social media and through the hunting you know community that we get to have these connections so I uh, would love to hear just a little bit more about your backstory and origin, like where you came from, how you came to be an archery uh, instructor and extraordinaire, if you will, and then all of the things that led you to your current job. Sure. Well, I got started at a young age. I was about 10 or 11 when my dad was asking me to go hunting with him, and I had a thing about guns and I just really didn't ever want to shoot a gun. So I said, no, I I won't do that, but I'll shoot a bow. And so my first time shooting a gun was actually in Hunter Ed when I took the five shots I needed to pass the course. And then I didn't touch a gun again until uh, I got into college. So archery was definitely my thing. Um, I grew up hunting with him and then competing. And I was lucky when I turned 16 to go become a USA certified instructor and started working at my local bow shop. 
I went off to college, didn't really shoot anymore, actually got it started in duck hunting. Um, that's when I picked up the shotgun and came back, was working as a bank teller. And that just really wasn't the job for me. I hated being indoors every day. And that's when I saw on Facebook a post for the Oregon Archery Education Coordinator. And that person was in charge of NASP, S3DA, and General Archery Education for the state of Oregon. And I thought that sounded like such a fun job. So I was sitting in bed when I saw it on Facebook. I applied on Facebook, um, and I kind of laugh at it. And never thought I would actually get the job because I should have put in a little bit more effort than I did. But luckily I got... Um, an interview. And so I went down there for a couple years and was the archery education coordinator for Oregon. And during COVID, it became hard when my family was in Washington and I was living down there. So I reached out to NASPA asking about other opportunities. And I said, I think it would be a great time to implement a Western regional coordinator to kind of help out all of the Western states that, states that might be having a hard time getting the word out and running lessons because our states are a little bit bigger to drive across than Eastern U.S. And they said, that's a great idea. So I was able to move back home to Washington. I grew up on Fidalgo Island, so great area. I actually worked for a whale watching company during my summers in high school. And now I just get to travel in the Pacific Northwest to help out coordinators with their trainings and stuff. You created your job, Stephanie. That is something that's that's pretty phenomenal. (laughs) What a cool thing. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. I was just so happy that they said yes and that I got to continue, you know, helping people get into archery, helping students get into archery. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who don't know what NASP is, can you explain that a little bit more and what that program entails? You bet. So NASP is the National Archery in the Schools program, and it was started in 2002, I believe, in Kentucky as a a program to work with the Fish and Wildlife Agency and get bows in kids' hands. So they all shoot Genesis bows and Genesis arrows, um, max out around 15 meters, and it's just an in-school curriculum that gets kids across the country shooting. So it's an awesome program, and I love being a part of it. So outside of that program being within the schools and taught there, it can also be um, they're doing tournaments, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so they can do tournaments either as part of their in-school program or a lot of schools start after-school clubs. Um, So it's up to them. In schools, the requirement of after-school can be added to. And tournaments, They this year there's a lot of virtual tournaments happening in the States and everywhere. But usually our big tournament is held in Kentucky and we have 16,000 kids that show up to shoot our nationals every year. So I remember a couple years ago when I was going through the NASP certification to implement here at our schools in Lowell, Oregon, um, they were talking about that, how many kids run through this program and how big this tournament can be. And it really just brought a lot of insight to me because for one, I came to it not really knowing much about it. Uh, I, I did a little bit of archery in high school out here, but this program really wasn't established then. So it was just kind of, if there were some targets and bows at the school, or you know, if a parent had some extras or something, you could implement it, especially coming from this small school where I came from. But it's so great now that there's this actual foundation for kids to learn the skill of archery and to be able to have that facilitation around it. Oh, 100%. And our curriculum is actually what a lot of Boy Scout, Girl Scout, 4-H clubs, they come to us and take our trainings to use 
our way of doing it because we have such a high focus on safety and just making sure that the kids are going to be successful. That's awesome. I absolutely love it. No, that's great. So if somebody wanted to find more information about this program specifically, um, is it just going to nasp.org or what is that website? It's NASP, N-A-S-P, schools.org, schools with an S. Awesome. So highly recommends, you know, looking into that if you want to get an organization or a club going in your area, um, or, you know, if you just want to figure out if there's something already established where your kiddos can get involved for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit more about um, a question that you probably get a lot. I see other people get, and I know for myself on social media, this is a pretty common question. You know, somebody will come to me and say, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm looking to get a bow. Um, what should I get? Um, typically my answer to somebody is shoot them all because everybody can have a different feel. Um, something can work better for one person than the other, but say I'm coming to you, Stephanie, and that's my question. Hey, I want to get a bow. What should I get? Where do you go from there? So my first response is always go to your local bow shop. They're going to have the best information for you, especially right now. What's on the shelf is very limited. So what bow you can actually buy is uh, much smaller than the bow that you may be wanting to buy. Cause I know Matthews is three months out right now. Mm-hmm. If, and if you're looking to buy a bow today, well, that's just not going to be your option. Um, and then I, I kind of tell people the same thing, you know, you need to shoot at least a couple bows to figure out what you like and what you don't like, but I make sure that people know, you know, you're going to buy your bow, but you also have to pack on the accessories. So you want to make sure that you know your budget and you let the pro shop know your budget and your budget is either just for the bow or it's your bow and everything. And factor all of that in because if you only have a $300 budget, you're not going to want to shoot the Matthews off the rack or else you're going to be way over budget. Uh, and once you shoot that really nice bow, you're probably going to want the nicer bow. Uh, but And then what I tell them is you want to pay attention to the grip, how the bow feels in your hand, the draw. Is it smooth or is it stiff? Is it spongy? How that back wall holds when you're at full draw and how it releases. Does it feel good in the hand when it falls away? Is it fast? Is it loud? And those are kind of my few things that once you're actually at the shop trying things out that I pay attention to. So for somebody listening who's not experienced um, in archery or maybe doesn't know the terms, talk about some of those things. So obviously the grip um, is going to be your bow hand where you're actually placing your hand to hold the bow. Um, But then you talk about that draw cycle and into that back wall. Can you talk a little bit more about that so people know exactly what that might be and how, you know, what to expect when they come to full draw? Yeah, so most compound bows these days, recurves are a little bit different. So we'll talk about compounds right now they have the draw cycle and they have, you know, between a 75 and 85% let off. Well, you have to get all the way to that let off point for you to be holding only, let's say 25% of the weight. So as you're drawing the bow back, you're drawing the arrow back to your anchor point, which is where you're holding your hand on your face. Um, each bow is going to be different. Some bows are more aggressive than each other. Some, and that's not including draw weight either. Um, So just the smoothness of the draw, making sure that's right for you. When I talked about the back wall and the sponginess, some bows, they're hard to hold at full draw. And it depends on what you like. It it all comes back down to what you like. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but so sponginess is when you're at full draw and you're sitting at your anchor point and the bow may try to creep in a little bit and you have to sit there and pull it back, creep it in, pull it back. And so that's when you have a spongy bow. And personally, I don't like that. I like having a solid Mm -hmm. back wall. Mm -hmm. Yep. I do as well. I feel like I can hold, you know, tension against that. And I know that I'm not moving forward um, or backwards. I'm not, I'm just, if you can hold steady against that for me, I feel like that takes one of the elements out of your shot process. Um, so after somebody gets their bow, they decide, you know, I really like shooting this one over that one for whatever reason feels good to them. Um, and they get to the place where then they get to start practicing. Um, what are some of the most important, if you will, elements to think about when you approach your bow every time and start the process of learning how to shoot, getting the anchor points down and building that consistency. Figuring out your shot process is going to be number one, making sure that you have the same steps every time. Um, And then two other important factors that might be out of your shot process is making sure you're not hitting your arm. And that, that's from your grip and your stance. Those two factors are going to determine if your arms turned into your string or not. And then some people just have overextended elbows and they need to wear an arm guard at all times anyways. Um, the second, like you mentioned, is going to be your anchor. And your anchor is going to be the two to three points on your face that you're going to remember every single time that you draw back. Because if you have a solid anchor point, today I used a example on my Instagram where I said... If you have a boat that's free floating, that's if you don't use any anchor point. If you have a boat that's tied with one rope to the dock, that's like having one anchor point. You can kind of uh, tighten your group a little bit, but you're still not going to be super consistent. But when you have that boat tied in with two tight ropes to the dock, that's when all of your arrows are going to group super tight on the target, um, depending on how much you're practicing shooting. But so, and then just shooting keeping it to about three arrows an end when you're just getting started, you never really shoot more than three to five. Um, but I hear some people and they're like, yeah, I was shooting 10 arrows an end and I just got so tired so quickly. And I'm like, yeah, that's too many. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the process of getting out there and getting started, would you say somebody should shoot consistent, like at, at a certain yardage as they're just getting going? Should they vary their yardage? Well, like, what are you thinking would be the most, um, practical ways for somebody to get going so that they're learning the consistency of their bow without getting too overwhelmed. I always start people who are shooting a compound bow with sights at 10 yards until they're hitting a target face. Um, And that's a multicolor or blue face, bigger than a basketball, but not too big. And once they can hit that and we know they're going to be on target, I scoot them back to 20 yards. And that's where most of your practice is going to be happening especially for a new archer and just stay at 20 yards until you're comfortable. You're shooting a grapefruit. Um, and then for fun or for practice, go back to 30, 40 and 50. And just as you start getting more consistent, the further back you go, keep going further back. Once you're starting to get ready for hunting and going out into the woods, that's when you might want to shoot 25 or 45 yards instead of just staying on the zeros. But no, I think that's it's important because, you know, you just get a bow. There's so many things to learn anyway. A lot of people who are new in the archery world or getting ready to, to go bow hunting will seek the advice solicited or not um, 
by other people, you know, or maybe they're consuming uh, videos off of YouTube or social media. So there's a lot of opinion. There's definitely tons of different ways, you know, to, to approach the same, you know, shooting process, but people definitely have an opinion. Um, so I think that in itself can be a bit overwhelming for people to figure out, well, am I doing it right? Or am I doing it wrong? Because it looks different when so-and-so does it. So, you know, I think if you can build on your own consistency, you know, consuming some of that stuff can be great for education. But I think it's important to remember you just have to pick and choose what works well for you. You know, if you see somebody shooting with their thumb behind their head, like that might not be right for you. Or if you shoot, you know, a wrist release, you know, a hand release might be better or not. You know, like there's just a lot of different things. So, you know, I think once you get the routine down and feel comfortable, you know, coming to full draw, you're comfortable with your weight, comfortable releasing your arrows without anticipating the shot, then I think it's good to start looking at the other things. But maybe at first, do you feel like it's best to just kind of narrow your focus down and work on one thing at a time? Or are you trying to build multiple skills during the process? I definitely you know, for when I'm first getting them shooting, I go through the basics and I get them ready so that they can shoot safely and they have, and they know the technique that they should be using. But when it's your first time shooting, I'm not really going to talk to you about back tension or, um, other more complex things. I'm going to teach you how to shoot an arrow into the target. Mm -hmm. And then once you've decided, Hey, I like this, I want to stick with it. And you've actually made the decision that you want to get better, that's when you can go ahead and start talking to someone about options and different things that you could be trying differently. I always recommend that you choose one person to listen to for a while though. And it always happens on the range where, especially as a female, I have three different guys that come up to me and they're all arguing over what I should be doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm, and pick one Pick one that you really trust and you think has some good good ideas and listen to that one person. Figure out if it works for you or not. And then if it doesn't work for you, try someone else. But give that person a chance and don't listen to three people at a time. Pick one and stick with it. So for somebody thinking about, you know, the anchor point, and I love the analogy that you used of tying up a boat. You know, if you if you just let it loosely float or if you use one or two anchor points, that's going to secure and tighten up those groups. But... Um, you know, I think something for me, even I struggled with when I first started was how do I know if I'm in exactly the right spot on my anchor point? Like, yes, you can feel on your nose or your cheek or something, but do you have any tips for somebody as far as really identifying what those anchor points are and if they feel the same every time? I think it's just really, you can buy a nose button, you can buy a kisser button, I personally don't use either of those. Um, it just comes down to personal preference. And I'm able to know I sit right in the middle of my nose every time and I push it in just enough that there's a line, a crease left after mm -hmm. I get done with my round of shooting. Um, and I know the bone that my knuckle hits every time I come back onto my face. But what really lines you up is having that peep sight that you're coming to every time. So as long as you have kind of those three things all steady for you and you're lining up your sight so that you can see all of the pins and your bubble and the target they should all come together right like they're supposed to mm -hmm. awesome 
So what are the most common mistakes, if you want to call them that, do you see new archers doing and how could we kind of work to mitigate some of those? Shooting a bow that's not set up correctly for them. A lot of times people find a bow in grandpa's attic and they take it to the bow shop and say, okay, I want to shoot it. Well, grandpa probably shot an 80 pound bow that didn't have any lead off and it's got frail strings and parts that aren't made for it anymore. So you definitely, before you go, especially if you're going to buy a bow used, figure out your draw weight and figure out your draw length and check and see if that bow still has parts that are available to buy. Um, And when I say draw weight, that's the amount of pressure that's on the string when you're pulling back. Draw length is going to be the distance between your anchor point and the front of the bow. So like myself, I'm a 26 inch draw and I shoot like 52 pounds. Um, but that's different. A lot of people that are just getting started, I probably guess on average shoot 10 pounds less than once they become a consistent shooter. Mm -hmm. Um, so having something that you can grow into too is a good idea. Um, rather than buying something that is way too powerful for you, hitting your arm. It's not a mistake. It's just a technique that you've got wrong. There's ways that you can rotate your grip and get your arm out of the way. And you'll learn that lesson quickly. A lot of people (laughs) give up, unfortunately, after the first time they hit their arm. Um, But there's definitely ways to get it out of there. And there's a cheap little piece of equipment called an arm guard, which kind of, you know, looked down on in the archery world almost. But if it saves your arm because you can't get your arm out of the way, go for it. You know, no one's going to laugh at you because you have an arm guard on. Um, The other thing that I would say is probably one of the top most common has to do with the arm too, is your grip. A lot of people start off with a desk grip on the bow and a desk grip is when you see your knuckles starting to turn white because you're holding onto it so tight and you should really be shooting with a relaxed grip so that you're not causing torque when you release the bow. And talk a little bit about how that torque can um, change your point of impact when you shoot. Yeah, so if you're holding onto that bow too tight and when it gets released, it can cause the bow, usually if I was doing it, it would probably cause the top of the bow to go over to the right. And that's going to cause my arrows to hit sporadically on the target because it's not going to be held in the same place every time. Whereas if you have a loose grip and the bow just falls straight forward, your arrow is going to have a straighter flight path. So those are really good things to think about too. And obviously that is a little bit of trial and error and just practice getting comfortable with your setup and the uh, just the general practice of shooting. Um, another thing that you can consider is shooting with one eye closed um, or both eyes open. Can you talk a little bit to that and maybe the benefits of each of those? So as archers, we learn something about ourselves called eye dominance. And it's something that a lot of people don't actually realize that they have one eye that's more dominant than the other. There's a few different tests you can do to figure it out. Um, Usually the bow shop will test you before you buy your bow, preferably. But it comes down to most likely you want to shoot with your dominant eye rather than your dominant hand. Um, That's the way I promote it. USA Archery actually does your dominant hand and believes that you can change your eye dominance. But if you're a brand new archer and you haven't developed those muscles yet, I think it's much easier to train your muscles to shoot with your dominant eye rather than the other way around. But back to the question of one eye versus two eye, if you can shoot with two eyes, 
and you're shooting with your dominant eye, that's going to allow that to be a little bit easier. Um, you're going to have better peripheral view, better balance, and it should, it, I don't want to say it's better, but it's going to give you a better chance. One eye, I see double when I have both eyes open, so I have to close one eye. Um, and you want to shoot with the eye that's closest to the string. So I'm shooting right-handed, I'm going to shoot with my right eye. Do you see any drawbacks to shooting with both eyes open at longer ranges or maybe in dim conditions? And how would somebody um, approach that? Say they get into a routine of shooting with both eyes open, but find that, you know, in dim or kind of like last light conditions, they have better view with one eye closed. Um, how is that going to change their shot or possible point of impact? So I know when I shoot with two eyes open, it actually looks different than when I shoot with one eye open. So I would actually recommend for that person to try a different peep size um, because you can get a smaller peep or a larger peep depending on, you know, if you're shooting indoors or if you're shooting outdoors in the open or outdoors in shaded areas. Um, that's what I would recommend instead of, you know, most of the time you're shooting with two eyes open and then in dark conditions you're shooting with one eye open because that can change what your sight picture looks like and where your arrow is going to hit the target. That is something that I found. So early on, I was shooting uh, with my right eye, obviously left eye closed. Um, so I was just shooting with one eye. I am left eye dominant, but I shoot right-handed. And when I first began shooting, nobody asked me, and I, I didn't really know to think about that. Um, and then I got to the point where I transitioned to shooting both eyes open simply because it was more comfortable for me. Um, but there was a learning curve where originally shooting with both eyes open, my left, because I'm left eye dominant, would take over and it would creep my shot over. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to learn to like kind of turn that eye off to be able to shoot with both eyes open. Because in all honesty, I've been a little bit worried about trying to, at this point, switch to shooting left-handed because of that left eye dominant. So it definitely can. You can cross over if you want to. Um, you know, I know that there's specific recommendations like from USA, like you were talking about, to choose the dominant hand over the dominant eye. But I think, again, it's one of those things for preference. Um, another thing that I think can take uh, be considered, too, is upper body strength and maybe shoulder health. So say if somebody had a right shoulder that maybe had a previous injury or surgery and wasn't as strong, would you recommend certain exercises? Would you recommend a different, you know, shooting potentially with the other side? Um, can you, have you ever run into that kind of a circumstance? So, and I think you went through this too. You had a shoulder injury and you used a mouse tab for a while, right? I did. Yep. Okay, so that's an option. Uh, it's kind of, that throws me off a little bit more than switching hands, but was it hard to pull it with your teeth or was it not too bad? You know, it's crazy because originally I thought, oh my gosh, my mouth. Um, right. But what I found was it was a little bit more of my neck and just learning the mechanics of that. And I started it with a really low poundage. I think I was like around 40 or something because I really just wanted to make sure that mechanically I wasn't at any disadvantage. Um, and I wanted to build the repetition just like I would have in any other circumstance. The thing I found, and it's funny because if I post like a throwback picture to that, every once in a while somebody will say like, oh, that's a great anchor. Well, 
it really sucks actually because you don't have any way to anchor and there's so many different ways and angles that you can change so even though I was continually biting in the same place on the tab that I had if my head was turned more forward or backward side you know left or right that could change exactly you know that could change how I was looking through my peep even that small degree would change the point of impact um so I was finding effective ranges out to 40 but over that wasn't super great grouping um it wasn't terrible but you know I would never want to have to shoot an animal or something at that range. Um, For me though, I did that after my shoulder surgery. So that was a really good option just to be able to continue to shoot. Um, You know, and then you'll see sometimes people will shoot. um, I I know that there's also some other assisted um, drawing methods. I don't know those and I have not tried those personally. But I know that there are options for people if you do have shoulder injuries or maybe you're recovering from something, um, maybe you have an amputation, um, but there are definitely ways that you can uh, improvise there. Absolutely. And when it comes to shoulder injuries or arm injuries, you only want to do what's comfortable for you. And if you're working with a doctor, what they approve because you don't want to injure that shoulder or arm more than it already is. And for a lot of archers, um, shoulder and wrist injuries are actually quite common um, from archery, from shooting. Not that, not to scare you away from shooting, but it does happen. And so learning to, I don't want to say compensate, but work around that shoulder injury, pulling a different way. Like you said, maybe just lowering your draw weight because they're, uh, we all we won't all want to shoot the highest weight we can for a faster arrow, for a more ethical shot. But people kill elk at lower poundages, and it's okay. It happens. You do what you got to do to stay out in the field, not before, not below the legal limit. But um, and there's always the option that you can learn to shoot with the other arm too, like we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be a very big learning curve if I was to change from right to left-handed and have to wear an eye patch or something to fight off my dominant eye, but it would be possible. Anything is possible, right? Anything. (laughs) It's it's really inspiring that, you know, there's lots of people out there doing it. Um, I originally saw, I think it was John Dudley. Uh, shooting with a mouth tab after one of his surgeries and I was like okay I can do this you know and since then I've seen lots of different methods um, and lots of different assisted um, release mechanisms that just really do allow people from all walks of life no matter what you're battling or have going on to be able to get out there and shoot which is you know a really great thing that it takes away that a lot of those limitations or potential limitations. USA Archery actually has some good YouTube videos about the different adaptations that they have. And so they have a few different episodes about different things that you can do depending on what help you need as an archer to be able to pull or hold your bow back. Um, So those were kind of fun to watch and see all the different things that people are doing. Absolutely. Usually you hear me talking about Sawyer and really praising its benefits for keeping ticks away, also helping repel mosquitoes and biting flies, which are terrible. They also have a wonderful water filtration system they offer 
um, a, a portable that you can throw into your backpack. They also have a gravity bag and tons of different options. They even have a tap filter depending on what your needs are. So head over to Sawyer.com, see what they have as far as getting you set up. That way you always have access to clean water in the field, at home, or camping. Head over to Sawyer.com and check it out. So what are some of the other recommendations you would have for a new archer who was really wanting just to hone in the skill to be to become a bow hunter? Shoot a lot. <laughs> That's always the best advice. Learning to be consistent, practicing in the different locations, but practicing like you're going to be hunting. So if you plan to be hunting on a hilly, rocky uh, mountainside, you should probably go take a target to the National Forest and start practicing in that area. If you're going to be shooting in the trees, go find some trees to go shoot in. Um, or if you're out in the open in the sunlight, shade and sun do, um, they don't change anything on your bow, but it, it changes how you're aiming and seeing the target and plays with how your mind picks up distances. And create a relationship with your local bow shop. That's one of the best pieces of advice I can give because they're going to want to help you get better and have different opportunities available for you to either shoot with other people, take lessons, or just talk to you about what's going on. Absolutely. Another really great thing I think too is going to 3D shoots. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that can benefit you in your long game as a bow hunter? So they're great because every range you go to is just a little bit different. And every time you go to a 3D, each the same course is going to be different. So a 3D is a foam animal target that gets set up either in the woods or in a field of some kind. There's different ways that they run them. My local ones are set up in the woods and we do a roving course. And so you shoot a target at different distances. Some are marked yardage or you can use a rangefinder. Some are unmarked and you have to guess. Um, but I love my local course, Silver Arrow in Mount Vernon, Washington, because there's hills, there's rivers, there's trees, there's openings. There's a little bit of everything. And it's not just flat and open like some courses are. I know when you go to the desert, they make, make do with the best they can, but... <laughs> Courses like this are a little bit more fun, but it also teaches you the different, you know, if you're shooting on an angle and you have to think about angle compensation, or if you have to shoot through some trees or some bushes, how to get around that. And they're just a great opportunity to have semi-real life experiences before you actually go hunting. Yeah, those shot simulations, I think, are a really great way of thinking about things that you might not really imagine right now you know like what if you have a small window or some debris um or even how when you come to full draw on the side of a hill like how your bow feels different in your hand how you have to really watch that bubble at that point so um it does a really good job at maybe bringing up some valid points um that you may run into when you're in the field pursuing game i was shooting with someone last weekend and they said they have a course that leaves their target set up year round. So they're able to just go shoot 3d whenever they want. Mine puts them away except for events, but they were saying they like to go out right before season and practice sneaking up on the animals and finding them in the woods and not necessarily following. This is when no one else is out there. They're the only ones on the course, Um, but sneaking up on the animals and seeing if they can find them and how uh, confident they feel 
in their stocking abilities. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a fun idea. Yeah, that is. You could do that in your own backyard and that probably would be a little safer than a 3D course. Absolutely. That's awesome. So what about you for this season? Do you have any cool uh, archery hunts coming up? I'm potentially going back to Colorado this year to try for elk again with my dad. He bought an outfitting business down there a couple years ago. And so last year I finally had enough preference points to go hunt in his unit. But I got, well, as the guide's daughter, I didn't get the, you know, paying client treatment. I got the, (laughs) I'm here on a freebie treatment. Um, And so I didn't see any elk when I was there. But so I'm hoping if I go down during a different season and he's able to take off some time and go explore a different unit with me that we might be able to find something. Oh, that's awesome. Super cool. And are you going to shoot the Western Classic in Reading this year? I did not register in time no. for it. I think it's full now. I, I'm sure it is. I, yeah, yeah, that's coming up. I think that's going to be uh, not this coming, but next weekend at the time of this recording. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always a fun one. Um, that was actually my first 3D shoot that I ever did was the... Uh, really? The Reading, yeah. yeah. That's a big one to go for for your first time. I know. I didn't know what I didn't know, and I just went for it, so... I am hopefully going to the R100 down in uh, at Caveman Archers in Oregon this year. That's one of my favorite shoots. It used to be held up in Olympia in our area, but Caveman got it for next year. So fingers crossed that it gets to go. That's awesome. Yep. It's a, it's a fun world once you get a bow in your hand. And I remember, you know, even still there are days where your shooting can just be off in those scenarios, I learned to just put it down and walk away, approach it at a different time. Sometimes you can just be in your head, um, but it is so much fun. It's been a great therapy for me. My kids absolutely love it. So we get to go out in the backyard and uh, launch some arrows together. So it's it's really fun. I'm looking forward to someday having our first archery hunt together with them uh, as the shooter as well. So it's just a, a great experience. There's a lot of skill, you know, needed that can be easily polished with some effort and repetition. But uh, I think you brought some great points and some good advice for people who want to get a bow in their hand and get to it. Yeah, thank you. So you do a lot of education online, too. So I want to make sure people can reach out to you and figure out where that's at. You put out stuff all the time that is wonderful tips and advice for people. So where can they pick that up at? So you can follow me. It's the Archer Steph, um, the.archer.steph on Instagram and Facebook. And that's Instagram is going to be where most of my information is going out most frequently. I also have a website that I do a blog post every so often, and that's www.stephanierustad.com. And I would love, you know, I love getting questions and interacting with people. So always feel free to shoot me a message on there. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time. It's absolutely gorgeous outside. So hopefully you can get out there and enjoy some of it today. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We'll definitely get you in the DMs too. If people have questions, they can send them to you um, at that Instagram handle. Um, Also, you can find more from her. We're going to be posting all over our Instagram, which is Her Inspired Journey. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Courtney. It was so good to talk to you today. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. 
If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend, and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.